Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On today's episode, we will be talking about some of the most hated players in the NHL and whether or not they actually deserve these reputations. Some of these guys you might not really think about as being uh, super hated. They're more niche players in the sense that certain fan bases have a particular opinion of them and maybe this reputation is or isn't earned. The other names are going to be very common and, and certainly among hockey villains, the most prevalent names you could possibly imagine. But some of them, you know, you might be surprised at thinking about them as anything other than just players. Before we do our NHL villain dive in, though, I thought I would talk about something that did occur last night, and it's that the uh, St. Louis Blues have had to cancel practices because a number of players and or staff have tested positive for COVID-19. On yesterday's episode, I did allude to the fact that I was not really confident in the NHL's plan to see this uh, return to play essentially go through as expected. And once again, I think we're confronted with the reality that this whole plan carries significant risk, and it seems like the NHL just doesn't really have a great handle on how to avoid getting lots of positive tests going into the future. What I think people fail to realize is that in situations like this where pro athletes are training together and breathing heavily and driving themselves and having to be in close proximity, in addition to maybe some less ideal personal choices, COVID has an ideal vector outlet to essentially transmit rapidly among all of these guys. I mean, if you think about it, this is basically a worst case scenario for trying to avoid COVID is is playing on these teams. So, you know, I don't really know what the solution here is, but I, I I just feel like this whole plan for the return to play at some point might get scrapped because, let's be honest, things are a little chaotic. The fact that the draft lotto odds already have a contingency built in uh, for a lack of a return to play and no playoffs run, I think says to me that the NHL may be thinking the same thing long term. Don't really know what the NHL is going to do going forward, but we'll know with it the coming weeks because I have a feeling uh, the Blues aren't going to be the only team that has to cancel practices. But I've already talked a lot about COVID, so we'll kind of move on to our subject at hand, villains of the NHL. And I think the first villain that we're going to start off with is a pretty easy name. I think most people have some kind of a feeling on this particular player. He is the winger Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. Marshand is the rare player who is both very good at his job and very good at his other job, which if you're wondering how somebody has two different jobs at the same time, let's start off with the first one. Uh, I think there's no denying that Brad Marshand is one of the best offensive wingers in the NHL. His ability to get into small spaces, uh, to find himself around the net in really tight areas, and his ability to score and create offense from those positions, high danger areas especially, makes Brad one of the most dangerous wingers in the league and somebody who's very effective at uh, constantly finding himself in good places to either set up his own line mates or score himself. He's a great skater, he's got really strong balance on his skates, and despite his smaller stature, it doesn't really seem like he ever backs down from a physical challenge. Marshan is one of those guys who's just not afraid to mix it up, and I think that that kind of leads to his second job, which is his role as a bonafide agitator. 
there are any number of videos of Marshan doing things like uh, <laughs> licking people and getting in their faces, making faces, saying things that are probably not things that you would uh, be able to repeat to your parents. He is, as the Canadian folks like to say, a poop disturber of the highest order, but I think that that actually makes him a very valuable player. Marshand is somebody who knows where the line is. I mean, he does have some questionable hits. I think that that is something that I, I don't really care for about his game. He definitely has elbowed and, and kind of gone high on players he really shouldn't have or done some questionable things, especially off the puck or away from the whistle. And, you know, that's that's something that you just kind of have to accept is kind of ingrained and built into his persona. People call Marchand a rat, and I don't think that that is... <laughs> it's not really an undue reputation, but I would not be somebody who would go so far as to say that Marchand is dirty. I don't think that he particularly is, but he's definitely somebody who likes to mix it up, get into the dirty areas, and often take quite a few penalties. But all that said, he's still a top-flight winger, and every time he's on the ice, something good usually happens. Last year, he actually hit 100 points which is actually pretty impressive for a dude who's usually been posting somewhere between, you know, 70 and 85 points a season. But I think that that speaks to the fact that Brad is more than just a bit of a grindy enforcer. He's a genuinely gifted playmaker, and I think that his style perfectly fits what the Bruins need and really what that top six unit uh, often looks for in guys who mix it up, get into those tight areas, and create space for their opponents. Marshand, I think, is really the quintessential energy player, but somebody who also happens to have really talented offensive gifts, um, great passing, great vision, a, a good release, great skating. He is the kind of player that Austin Wong, I would hope, would develop into, although Wong, I think, is actually bigger than Marshand and by a fair bit. Austin is uh, another very gritty winger with um, the potential to be a, a pretty greasy scorer. I don't think that he has had time to develop into that role with, I think he's with Harvard right now. But my hope is, is down the road, he starts to develop those offensive instincts and round out a bit more because he definitely was a terrifyingly good scorer in the league that he was playing in before. It's just that getting that to translate at, you know, a higher level and eventually the pro level will be one of the biggest challenges. If he can turn into somebody who's like Marchand, though, in the sense that he's very physical plays in an edgy game, not one that I would say is dirty, but edgier, you know, is willing to draw fouls, get into the difficult areas in front of the net, and create chaos. I think that that is a perfect outcome, and, you know, I think he was, what, you know, a seventh round pick? Marchand, in some ways, is a role model for what your your grindy fourth-line energy player should be. Obviously, Marchand has significantly higher offensive upside than most fourth-line scrubs, but I, I think that the way that he plays and the way that he thinks about attacking space is, is also really part of a game that I think he has so many different elements to make him a complete attacking forward. Up next on the list of players that I strongly dislike comes a guy that most people aren't familiar with outside of Winnipeg and a few other states and cities. This guy is Marcus Foligno of the Minnesota Wild. And Felino has been around, it, it feels like forever, because I'm pretty sure he used to be with the Buffalo Sabres. And I kind of feel like Felino, for the most part, is a very underappreciated forward. When I first saw him, I tended to think that he was just something of a goon, not like a, a, a bad player necessarily, but he is kind of goony in the sense that he has a lot of very borderline hits and stuff that I think he's actually gotten suspended over. He has had some very dirty hits, especially against the Jets. 
which isn't entirely surprising because I, I think that tends to lead to what his overall game is. And Felino is quite honestly one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL. Part of that comes from the fact that he's just a very physical, almost enforcer kind of winger, but he's actually gifted at being strong on the puck, making clean outlet passes, and generally causing a lot of havoc with his frame and physicality. I think that a lot of what Felino does best is being able to shield the puck, find his line mates, and make some kind of a zone exit, or, if he's in the corners, winning those puck battles and 50-50 opportunities to create offensive opportunities for his line mates, and basically keep it away from his own end. In a lot of ways, you could argue that he's essentially a shutdown defenseman playing the role as a left wing. Using data and visualizations from Micah Blake McCurdy's HockeyViz.com, which you can subscribe to through a wonderful Patreon, there's a really good story that you start to realize, and it's that Felino truly is one of the best shutdown players in the NHL. Like, we're talking Selkie award-winning kind of defensive quality. Over the last three seasons, he has, relative to his teammates, decreased offensive opportunities in the defensive end by 15%, 18%, and 15%, which is overall pretty nuts. I mean, this is a guy who is just consistently matching up against top-end players, and shutting them out by a, a pretty far margin. Where Marcus kind of doesn't have as much versatility is in the offensive end. Unfortunately, you know, Felino's game is a little bit limited. What you're bringing him in, though, to do is essentially just mark out your opposing top-end forwards and occasionally chip in with some offense here and there. I mean, he was around 25 points this season, um, which is already a shortened season, but, like, I don't think that you're really expecting him to be a dominant offensive force. Felino is a guy who is going to use his physicality and strength to essentially protect his own net and keep you away from the puck, and that's going to be his best attribute. Marcus is, for the kind of player that he is and for the kind of contract that he is, an extreme value bargain. He's also not quite as old as I thought he was, so he definitely has several years left to be a continued stout defensive presence and somebody who I think a lot of teams, uh, once his contract expires, should probably take a look at. I'd always be curious to know if he would ever have ended up better as a defender rather than a left wing. But, you know, obviously experiments for another time. It is funny that at one point he actually had much better offensive impacts early on in his career than he had defensive impacts. Over the years, though, he's definitely grown into this role as somebody who shuts down opposing top-end players and essentially limits everything around his own net, even if he's not able to create much in the offensive end. Someone who I think actually did that in both ends of the ice, uh, good impacts, is actually a guy named Patrick Hornfist, which many people will be familiar with from his Pittsburgh Penguins days, but Hornfist, especially as a predator, was one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL. When Patrick was younger, and we, we only have data back for so long, but, you know, past ten years or so, Hornquist has been one of the most dominant two-way wingers in the entire league and somebody who was capable of absolutely causing havoc in the offensive end while also shutting down opponents in his own end. He has elements of Felino's defensive prowess, but he also is more of an agitator in the vein of Brad Marchand, and it really does make him kind of a villain in a lot of respects because he's somebody who's not afraid to go for an edgy hit, he'll bark in your face and get up close and personal, and he's somebody who just seems to find those greasy, annoying, and frustrating areas to defend with relative ease, and then score a nice goal out of it. You know, obviously he's, what, 33 now, so his, his offensive and defensive performances have both declined over the past several seasons. 
But make no mistake, Hornquist is still a dangerous player, and like the past couple of years, he's continued to be a very stout attacking presence for the Penguins, even though his defensive impacts have definitely declined. At his peak, though, I think Hornquist had to have been one of the most annoying players in the league to, to face against because he definitely has a bit of a trash-talk potty mouth, and he's not afraid to get into those tight areas, win battles along the walls, and grind out offensive opportunities. I really tend to think that these skill sets are very underappreciated, and I'm not sure that Hornquist was ever really seen as the kind of quality of player that he truly was, especially when he was in Nashville. Much like a guy like Patrick Eliash is concerned, I think that Hornquist's quality is only clear once we've had a better picture of the historical data and, and more information on what he was actually capable of doing and how he changed the ice when he was on it. He's probably not the most villainous player you could possibly imagine because, let's be honest, I think most people don't really think about guys who are not your star-leading frontman, especially nowadays. But in, in Horkvist's prime, he definitely was a really, really prolific attacker and such a great, stout, two-way player with an attitude problem. I know from having watched a lot of Caps games that Hornquist was one of the most frustrating and annoying guys to get to know because he was just always in those right places to score goals and create havoc for Washington to deal with, even if he himself wasn't scoring. When placed in Pittsburgh's top six, he fit Mike Sullivan's system perfectly and brought that extra edge of physicality, grittiness, and greasiness that allowed him to get into those areas where he wasn't necessarily somebody who was going to score, but he was going to find his teammates who could. And if he did find himself in front of net with a puck, I'm pretty sure he was going to put it away because, let's just be honest, Patrick Hornfist is a very talented scorer. In my opinion, I think that he's like the ideal two-way winger who just has that extra bit of edge to get him into those spots and create that space that just opens up so many more offensive opportunities. Even though he's definitely declined, he's still a, a decently impactful player, and I think he can be a difference maker, you know, on a, on a depth roll, even if his top six days are probably at this point well behind him. We're going to cover two more villains on tonight's episode of the Locked on Jets podcast, and this edition has had a couple of interesting names pop up. These next two, however, are almost unequivocally villains in the eyes of pretty much every hockey fan, including fans from some of their own teams. And the first villain is going to be Tom Wilson of the Washington Capitals. Wilson's reputation definitely has cooled down a bit since he's actually gotten his game into a little bit more of alignment with what you'd expect your average power forward to do. But as recently as a few seasons ago, Tom Wilson used to be one of the most predatory hitters in the league, which is kind of a shame because I think that Wilson actually brings a really good element of, of strength, physicality, and space creation to a top-line unit. Wilson is not somebody who's tremendously offensively gifted in the sense that, you know, he doesn't really have a high-end hockey IQ. He's not like a Brad Marchand, for instance. But in his role, he's very effective, and he lets Ovechkin and company do their thing. Tom, you know, for better or worse, is very effective in creating space and using his strength and physicality to muscle guys off the puck, shield the puck himself, and get into very hard-to-defeat uh, areas around the net. He's just a menace in front of goal, and it's partially why he's very effective at, at creating offensive opportunities and scoring chances in those areas. Last year, uh, he was an absolute unholy terror, especially if you look at his uh, scoring chance opportunities in front of the net. And in other seasons, he's been a little bit more of a defensive presence, but this year he's kind of sort of evened out to just be like a break-even NHLer. But when Tom Wilson is at his best, 
that net front area where he likes to find himself and pose himself uh, muscling in between defenders just makes him a very dangerous and scary player to come against. Unfortunately, his penchant for hitting people and decapitating them frequently for a long time ended up kind of spoiling a lot of his reputation and taking away stuff from him that made him a much better skater than he appeared to be. He was outright goony for a long time and it took um, repeated suspensions to even get the point across that he needed to change his game and stop going for headshots all the time. While he still has a couple of moments that are a little more sketchy than most players, I think that generally speaking Wilson did learn his lesson and he really hasn't had that many suspension-worthy hits since. His game notably changed over the past couple of seasons, and as a result, his on-ice impacts have significantly improved. My only hope is that he doesn't get suspended in the future, because usually when he gets suspended, it's because he did something really rash and stupid, and somebody got, well, maybe not necessarily hurt, but was in danger of being seriously hurt. He uh, unfortunately has a penchant for liking the board guys, and elbow, and take kind of cheap shots up high, so... Hopefully he doesn't do that as much. He, he does like to charge, and uh, hopefully that, that part of his game is going to be phased out in the future because otherwise he can just be an effective middle six to top six forward, and the caps are likely better with him on the ice than off of it. The last guy who was a villain is kind of a villain for different reasons than some of the others, and this guy is Tony D'Angelo of the New York Rangers. D'Angelo has something of a reputation because I think when he was with the Sarnia Sting in the OHL, he ended up using like a racial slur against one of his teammates and then also like spat on an official or something. So obviously uh, behavioral uh, patterns with D'Angelo coming into pro hockey were not exactly what you might call acceptable. These days D'Angelo isn't really doing that kind of stuff necessarily, but he does go to Twitter a lot and he tends to feud with a lot of people online, which is kind of funny. He's got like this very trolly persona that I think he tends to stick to but it's interesting because you listen to his dad from a few years ago talk about when Tony got suspended and his dad basically said yeah you know it's how we were raised and I would have said the same things multiple times likely that he did you know it's not like a one-time thing with Tony it's it's definitely across the family a consistent theme that they are okay with saying these kinds of things and that they believe a certain way and so they kind of stick to their guns it's kind of funny because Tony does the same thing on Twitter and like he'll constantly go at people for the same things and, and argue with them and try to take like some kind of moral high ground. A lot of Rangers fans love him for some reason, I guess because he embodies that uh, no-nonsense, kind of gritty New Yorker personality, although I know most other people are kind of tired of his antics. Political beliefs aside, obviously the racist incident was pretty pretty unacceptable and you know, that's that's just you can't you can't do that. And I don't know that Tony has ever really expressed any sort of remorse for what he did beyond the fact that he got caught and suspended for it. But like listening to his dad talk about it, you would kind of expect that no, he probably doesn't actually feel bad about what he did, and if he could get away with it again he'd do it. He recently created some controversy by talking about starting a podcast that the New York Rangers actually retweeted before they retweeted anything about the whole Black Lives Matter issue after George Floyd was killed. And uh, this this podcast, I think Brendan Lemieux was talking about it. Brendan Lemieux, another guy who, who tends to like to troll people and, and kind of mix it up because of his particular political beliefs. But, you know, he and D'Angelo were going to apparently troll people on their podcast and and, I guess, counter politically correct culture. Very strange way to go about things, in my opinion. I feel like the constant need to feel to troll people and, and sort of spark them up and get into arguments online isn't really a productive thing to do. 
uh, Tony D'Angelo probably should just focus on hockey and, and less about arguing with people on Twitter. You can definitely do both, but if you want to be seen as less of a villain, you probably want to focus on the hockey more so than the Twitter, but hey, maybe he likes being one of the most hated guys on the ice. His teammates definitely seem to like him, and I'm sure that there are certain people out there who just adore his game and love the kind of personality he has, but I think for the rest of us, we could do with a little bit less of the personality side. Hopefully you folks enjoyed our first start to this hockey villain series. If you guys have any villains you want me to cover and take a look at, be sure to hit me up at HLLivingLoco on Twitter and at the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Before you log off, be sure to listen to our Locked On NHL National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.